says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God really said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. Now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to, to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the livestock, and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will make enemies of you and the woman." And of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall deliver children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. Yet you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return." Now the man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out with his hand, and take fruit also from the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden, to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. You may be seated. 
Thanks, Jonathan. Good morning, Reliance. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we, we know that we live in a fallen world. We see the impact not just in our own city, our own nation, around the world, but we see it in our own lives. And Lord, I pray that as we um, contemplate your response to our sin, Lord, we are prone to do exactly what Adam and Eve did. In their unfaithfulness, they covered themselves, hid. And I imagine even in this own room, even I find myself that I want to hide my imperfections. For I know what you truly think of them. And I know that those who might perceive them would think of the same way that I see them. So we cover ourselves. Lord, there is something here in Genesis 3 which um, we are very familiar with. And the reason why we look at this passage, Lord, is as we remember your grace towards us, and even that while we were yet sinners, you showed grace through your son, Jesus Christ, dying for our sins. So, Lord, I ask that in the very beginning as we consider these things, I pray that we'd be faithful to contemplate them and to consider how we might respond to them as a result of knowing you more. In Jesus' name, amen. When I uh, was discussing with my family, going through Genesis, one of the questions my son asked me was, when I say son, I have six kids, and so when I say son, poor Lincoln gets thrown under the bus because it's obvious who he is, the son. Was this? If I were to say my daughters asked, nobody would know. Um, but my son actually asked a, portray, a, a, a thoughtful question. And he said, he asked, uh, Dad, do you only need to know the gospel in order to be saved? I said, what do you mean? He said, yeah, like the, all that Old Testament stuff. Do we need to know that in order to be saved? And I asked him, I said, so how is a man saved? And he responded, well, knowing and confessing that you're a sinner and trusting yourself to Christ's atonement. He didn't use atonement, but died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again on the third day, is under the Father, and that in that faith we are saved. So that's how a man is saved, yes. So why the Old Testament? And I think a lot, that's one challenge that we often have to ask ourselves. Is why would we pour ourselves over these things? And one of the reasons why I have wanted to study the Old Testament with you is my response to him was, one who knows the historical activity of God has strong faith. His faith is strengthened, realizing the gospel that we have so entrusted ourselves to believe in wasn't something that came over sometime in the night. God has used history to weave in his redemptive plan, how he would redeem an unfaithful person. And so Genesis 3 comes on the heels of Genesis 1 and 2. And so if you just let me, real quick, do a quick review, because it's those previous chapters help us understand the conflict which arises in chapter 3. And once you get to chapter 3, the pages that take fall to restore it back to the beginning is, is quite 
extravagant. Because chapter 3 lays the pattern by which God will then, how, he might, how we come to understand how God might respond to our faith unfaithfulness. But in quick review, we, we spent two weeks ago looking at Genesis chapter 1, which I ultimately, I tried to ask the question, where in the world are we? I stressed that this question is important because when, when someone knows where they're at, then it shapes the way that one lives. So when I go into my college classroom to teach, my students assume that they're going to learn and sit there quietly and interact on occasion with the material being discussed. And so the atmosphere determines how one will act within it. So when I go to a stadium, the, the means by which I would operate in a college classroom is going to be different when I go to a stadium. Because when I go to a stadium, I'm assuming I might be entertained. And I might be allowed to yell out at some point. Which if you take that behavior and you put it in the classroom, it's disrupt, disruptive. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, when we ask the question, where in the world are we? The author is stressing that we have found ourselves in the cosmic temple of God, in which God is utterly in charge. God said, let there be light. He separates the light from the darkness. He separates the waters in the sky and upon the ground. It's God who created the heavens and the earth. And he could have left his creation account with Genesis 1-1 and stopped. But he chose to show the way that he created heavens and the earth in six days and upon the seventh day he rested. Genesis chapter 1 not only shows us that we live in the cosmic temple of God but it also shows why humanity is unique. And In that we recognize that we are created in the image of God to share his likeness before all creation. And so chapter 1 is significant in that it helps us understand where in the world we're at. We are in God's cosmic temple in which we have been created uniquely to be his representatives before creation to reveal the invisible invisible God physically before all things that he has created that's chapter one chapter two if you're tracking with me chapter two emphasizes the role that humanity will fulfill in this unique position as being created in the image of God and that we are to live our lives utterly dependent upon God for all things this is the, the rhythm of Genesis chapter 2. And so I stressed this last week that there are six, at least six, emphasis in which humanity, in order to fulfill its design to be created in the image of God, it must depend upon God for their very being, for their food. We're not like God and that we can live eternally without food. No, we actually are dependent upon Him to provide us with food, to sustain us. Three, He's the one who's defined our place, our purpose. He's even given us the means by which we are to understand wisdom. And because he's the creator of the cosmic temple, he gets to determine how man might live. And so it is in Genesis chapter 2, we see the first sovereign command which he's given to humanity. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to stress this because it's important for Genesis 3. Genesis 1 and 2, God says, let there be light, let there be vegetation, let there be trees, let there be man, let there, he says, says, says. But when God puts the man in the garden, he doesn't say, 
don't eat of that tree. He uses a very specific term which the reader must be aware of because it's new. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Man gains his wisdom from God. It's dependent upon God to instruct him. And so the Lord God commanded. It's unique. It's not the same as before, God says. But here, God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat. But from the tree of knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. The tree of good knowledge of good and evil had something to give to the person who would eat it. But man, God has made man to utterly be dependent upon him. You don't find wisdom from a tree. Because when you do from this tree, it will lead to death. In that we recognize, as we concluded last week, not only God give us well, I, the, 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 the inward desire to be utterly dependent upon him for, for our place, our existence, for our wisdom, for our place. But he's also seen that it is not good that men might live alone. And he created the institution of marriage, the closest relationship that humanity has ever known in Genesis 2, 20, 18 through 24. And all of this, it concludes... And the man and his wife were both naked, utterly had nothing, and yet they were unashamed. Why? Because everything that they needed, they were dependent upon God to give to them. That's Genesis 1 and 2. And so why would we study now Genesis chapter 3? We all are familiar in that it is when the fall of humanity takes place, and we are in danger when we come to Genesis 3, to now think that humanity now is finding itself as the center of the story. I'm going to stress this, and the reason why I did the review of what we've gone through before is Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Everything that is central and dominant to the reader is supposed to learn, it's about God. God who says, it's God who provides and it's a danger that we might practice when we get to Genesis chapter 3. Now the main subject becomes man. No. What we will perceive in Genesis 3 is God's response towards man's unfaithfulness. It's not about you and I. It is about you and I in the sense that we messed it up. We're the one who have, humanity has been the one who is rebellious. But Genesis 3 is how does God respond to humanity when they purposefully and deliberately go contrary to his command. It treats, and one of the reasons why I think Genesis is so essential to understand, it treats sin not dismissively. Like, like what we do in this world, the sin is a mistake, it's an accident, or maybe it's a mild understanding when you look at Genesis 3, you come in contact with a God who perceives sin seriously. I have this image, I don't know what it is, why it's, but like for, for us, we look at sin, it's like this little rubber hammer, like bonk, well, nothing happened, nothing seriously hurt us. From God's perspective, when you get to the end of Genesis 3, he doesn't escort 
humanity out of the garden. He doesn't ask them to leave. He drives them out. As the reader, we recognize that we are reading about God's response towards man's unfaithfulness. That's why we read Genesis 3. In light of this, we're going to have a picture, which we already know we're sinners, but we're going to have a picture, a more accurate view of who God is and how he responds, excuse me, to sin. So with that all said, let's look at the fall. It composes really of only seven or eight verses to set the scene. And after these seven or eight verses, you're going to see God's response. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to, the, the author presents us how the everything God was, God has, been, ha, has become fallen in light of God's creating a perfect world. He writes in Genesis 3, verse 1, the scenario. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now, it's only half of the verse, but I, I want to emphasize this because often we might assume that, and the writer is, I think, just trying to stress something here. Well, the serpent, that's outside of God's creation because he's going to tempt man and woman away from the standards of God. No, the writer is he wants you to see the serpent, whom we know who he is. He's one who's going, going to demean God's commands. He's going to be one who says, like as we read already, has God said versus God has commanded. He's going to demean the words of God. He's going to dismiss God's warning and he's going to negate the negative consequences. He's purposely setting himself against who the Lord is, well, let it be known who, do, who made this serpent? God. So the reader might be thinking, oh, what? Well, you ought to understand that God created the serpent with a purpose, knowing that man had his own purpose. And I've reason why I stress the review is that in chapters Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we recognize that God created man uniquely and that they're to represent the invisible God physically before all of his creation. And what is God created here? A serpent. And God told Adam and Eve, commanded, don't eat of this tree. So when the serpent comes onto the scene and says, as God said, look at me in verse 3, verse 1, we'll read the whole verse now. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? At that moment, if we understand what's happened in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it's at this moment man has been positioned rightly to present to the serpent God's command because man is created in the image of God to represent the invisible God, invisible God physically to snakes, to a serpent. And the woman said, she's going to mess it up. The woman gets a large section here uh, but let's be fair, the man's there the whole time, too. Look at how she messes up 
the command. Part of me, I think the writer is going to do is she messes up the command and she's supposed to know it, right? As we look forward to the perfect man, we're going to look into the scriptures forward as Jesus comes onto the scene. He says, I don't say anything, I'm on my own accord. And he accurately presents the word of God to creation without error. That's the standard. You want a passage which might motivate you or challenge you to read and memorize the scriptures, here it is. She doesn't get it right. Look what she does. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. Let's strike one, because God said you may freely eat. So she's shortening it down. That's not fair. She is supposed, just as man is supposed, is to faithfully represent God and his commands physically before all of creation. Strike one. Two. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So she really has three things that she gets wrong here. And the serpent's going to bite on it. One, she's added in a, an omission. She's added by omission. God didn't say you can't touch it. But she adds that. And she said, um, you will die. No, God said, you surely will die. And she gets it wrong. And, and the husband, I think, could have been helpful here. And the serpent said to the woman, he surely will not die. And he, here in verse 5, he plays this, like, I know God better than you do. Uh, we do this all the time, right, with laws or rules. Like, we want to get behind the purpose of the law or the rule. Well, that means, like, well, that was only for this type of situation that the law was applied. But it doesn't apply to this situation because it's different. And here the serpent's like, well, let me tell you the reason why God has said this. And he actually paints God as an oppressor. Look how he presents, like he's got inside knowledge. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he's actually, remind you, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, man is to be the physical representation for the invisible God for all of creation. Now you have a snake, a serpent, which the scriptures go on to show us is Satan himself. Is you have the created being, which God created, now dictating what the image of God is. It's that moment, the man and the woman say, nope, that's not right. That's not God. Nor is what he has said. And look what she does, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was. Like the tree of life, when you eat of it, does something. That's why you find it in the garden in Genesis 3. That's why you find it in Revelation 22. The garden of tree of life, when you eat it, it does something. So does the tree which provides knowledge of good and evil. So she looks, it's good for food. And it was actually desirable for the eyes. 
And the tree was desired to make one wise. It does provide wisdom. It's already noted in chapter 2. God warned that this wisdom that which might be pertained from the tree of garden or from the tree of knowledge of good and evil leads to death. Disregarding that command and that concern she took from it. Look how purposeful the layering of the rider does. She took it from its fruit, ate it. She gave it to her husband with her and he ate it. Like this is deliberate. Purposeful thoughtful it's not oops misunderstanding knowing the clear standard of God purposely evaluated the situation and went against the command of God therefore misrepresenting the invisible God physically before creation and this is what we call the fall And the wisdom that they gained, look at verse 7. Then their eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. The wisdom that they gained was this, were naked. Let me continue. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. We understand Genesis chapter 2. Man was created to be utterly dependent upon God for everything. And in the moment they took of the tree, the wisdom which they thought would promise them, the wisdom that they gained is that they cannot be like God and have utterly nothing to give to one another. And in the comparison of this position, they are forced and they attempt to do that which God does. Because it was God who made the heavens and the light, the heavens and the earth and the light and the vegetation and the trees. It's God who makes all things. But look what they do with this new wisdom. They sewed fig leaves together and made. Which is, this is what God does. Man needs it, he'll provide it as they depend upon God. But in their new wisdom, they made themselves one covering. And we know, as the readers reading it, how silly this attempt would be. I don't know if you tried it, but it would be difficult. And then the moment comes. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God, walking in the garden, cool of the day. Like, why did they get the tree? Right? They wanted to have more wisdom. Now they're scared of each other. They wanted to see the world differently. They wanted to be like God, to be able to determine good and evil. And now they're hiding and fearful of God. The thing has been flipped on its head. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And those same trees that God created in Genesis chapter 2 were to be trees in which man could look at for pleasing of sight. And now they're using the trees of which God has created to hide themselves. 
Man has fallen from representing the invisible God physically before all of creation, using creation to hide themselves from their creator. This is what we call the fall. Point two. How does God respond towards humanity who has been unfaithful to respond to his commands? We read it now and it's humorous, but when we read it, we recognize we do this ourselves. And the first thing that when God, in the response of God that he does is he calls out, and you're going to notice that when he calls out, he gives both Adam and Eve opportunity for confession. And what you read here is not confession. Look what he does in verse 9. The Lord God called to the man and he said to him, Where are you? Okay, so God's not confused. He knows where they're at. Like, you've seen this with your own children. Did you eat the cookie? No. Then it's all over their face. It's cute, right? No, it's, God doesn't think it's cute. He knows what they're at, where they're at. He knows what they're done. And he, provide, he, he calls out to them to come to him and gives the opportunity for confession. So in the response of God towards man's unfaithfulness, there is this opportunity, it seems, for confession. But what Adam does, what Eve does, is not confession. Verse 10, he said, he negates the whole Reality of what he has just done. I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. He doesn't say a thing about what he just ate. Opportunity for confession, strike one. Strike two in verse 11. Oh, this is strike two and three. And he said, God, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded? He doesn't notice what God says, that I said you not to eat. No, I purposely told you not to, right? Did you eat of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Don't follow this pattern, men. And the man said, look what he does. Opportunity for confession. God, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And he says, it's not only her fault that I am fallen, it's your fault that I am in this predicament. And as the reader, we know Genesis chapter 1 and the evaluation that when God creates everything, he looks and he says, God. And when man was alone, God said, that's not good. He created and made Adam to fall and asleep, and he created a wife for him. It's amazing. Like when, when Adam sees his wife for the first time, he's like, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, I'm committing myself loyally and faithfully to her for the rest of my life. Ten verses later, you ever write a poem for your wife only to have it be just mean nothing? A letter? You've done act of service for your wife? Only have it five minutes later be disregarded because of your foolishness. 
Some of the men in here are like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I do. And he turns it back on God. What you said was good is evil. Now, how would God respond towards his image, which was to represent him physically before all creation, when this is rebellion? God turns his attention to the woman. Verse 13. The Lord said to the woman, excuse me, said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Dismissive, dismissive response to their sin. I could do a whole sermon there, but we want to be done with Genesis at some point. But we do the same thing especially even those of us who have come to know the gospel by which we acknowledge our sin. Back to John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, like him who does not confess or acknowledge that they are sinful makes God to be a liar. I find it difficult sometimes that that is probably some, some of the hardest things for those within the church, those who know the gospel to acknowledge their own sin. When they know the command of God and then yet purposely and deliberately do it anyway. I could give example over example like God said, do not even look at a woman in your heart that is adultery or when you are angry to reconcile with one another. These commands that are given, we know them in full, and it's sinful when we disregard them and are dismissive towards our response of them. So what is the God's response to this? Notice that when we get to verse 14, he doesn't say to the serpent, why did you do this? Because the serpent was God's creation and God created man to rightly, physically represent the invisible God to the serpent. It wasn't the serpent's fault. It was man's failure to represent the, physical, the invisible God physically to this creation. But there is consequence for this snake, for the serpent. Look at verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent... We call these curses. Because of you, what you have done, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and all dust you will eat all the days of your life. The result of man's unfaithfulness, because man was created from the dust. And because of their unfaithfulness, God said, the day that you eat of it, you surely will die. And the consequence of that reality, oh, I don't know what happened there. 